I got nothing to say on the second topic. You say that now. Just just drop Dilla. Anything, anytime he has nothing else to say, <laughs> drop Dilla. I was about to say that. I was like, did you know that Jay Dilla moved to Atlanta? Right. Oh, shit, for real? Welcome to the B-side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur. Hey yo, watch y'all back. Put the aim on my shot. The mandatory hand the groom with the rock. I'm not a rough guy, but a tough guy to beat over drums. No son to this, I'm a rhyme bastard. This is episode 17 of the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I'm joined with Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. And today we're going to talk about Odd Future and the Odd Future conglomerate. And we're also going to talk about the lost city of Atlanta, why that's no longer the music mecca of popular music. Odd Future. Odd Future Wolfgang Kill Them All Collective. <laughs> Is bigger than Wu Tang Clan with 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 twelve uh, official members. Tyler said there's uh, sixty members at one point. He he stated there were sixty members. Oh, I don't, I don't I know if he was counting the audience as, as part of his membership. But wait, wait, wait. I'm Did good they? with naming four of them. Right, for real. But wait, he had a beef with somebody because dude cl- claimed that he was in it and he's not in it. Some something. Yeah, they're like. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think. At this point, they're kind of like Al Qaeda, where there's, there's just there's cats just like springing up in different parts of the world, like cells. They have different camps. They're like us. They got camps within the, yeah. the group. Yeah, but it's only, it's only four of us. <laughs> Look, Arthur, Quick List, Tyler, Haji Beats, Earl Sweatshirt, Domo, Genesis, Mike G, Frank Ocean. Left Brain, Sid the Kid, Matt Martians, Hal Williams, Jasper Dolphin, Taco Bennett, is it, Jay? Mellow Hype. These are the the splinter groups. Mellow Hype, the internet. Don't forget Lucas. Earl Earl Wolf. Mellow High. How do all these people get paid? That's what I want to know. How do you divvy divvy up all these uh, royalty checks? They're they're teenagers. (laughs) What do they need right now? They're all still living with them. Please, please explain to the audience and to us why we're even talking about our future. Please. Because they seemingly came out of nowhere and are now permeating various levels of musical society. Mm. I, I, I had gotten taken to task a couple of shows ago by somebody of, of, of notoriety because <laughs> I had said that using as an example an image in artistry, I had said that it was difficult for me to get into Tyler, the creator specifically, but Odd Future by extension because of the image. It was difficult you get past his it. Was, image. It was difficult for me to get past the image to get into the art of it. Mm-hmm. So I went to the experts, my daughter, mm-hmm. my oldest, and said, okay, show me something of Tyler Creator. Why is Tyler Creator even, even, even. Did she show you Yonkers? Is that the video where. He eats the cockroach yeah, and vomits me and hangs That's himself exactly in the, the right. one. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah, right, the one. Yeah. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, I get it. You got it? It's performance art. Some bullshit. Well, yeah, I understand that, but I'm saying, okay, I get it. It's performance art, and so now I could. Now that's my entry point. So, uh, having having seen that, was it? A, were you able to separate that video from the music that you were listening to? I mean, some ways yes, in some ways no. I'm like, like I like, I like Wolf better than I like Goblin. Mm-hmm. Goblin seems a little more gratuitous to being just trying to be so different to get attention. Smoking different weed. Maybe that's it too. That's what it is, because that's you really know, what the whole camp is really based around, if you really think about it. Well, I think that their extension to me, uh, they seem to be almost the 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 um, logical result of this of skateboard culture mixing with 
quote unquote urban culture, black culture. Um, it's, you know, and they come out of L.A. Well, I don't think this could happen mm-hmm. anywhere but L.A. Thank you. Uh, I That's don't think my point. I don't think skateboard culture and and <laughs> and black culture would mix uh, in this way any other city. Um, and to me, you know, that's and listening to Wolf, which I think is a is a, a superior album. I think it's a great album. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listening to that album, I'm glad it happened. Tyler, you know, to to uh, uh, Arthur's point, it is harder for uh, you know to get past some of that imagery and listen to this cast music. Fortunately, I heard his music before I even saw him. You know, I heard Goblin before I even knew who 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 this cat was. Um, but I think that they're a logical extension of that skateboard culture, skater culture, you know, colliding with urban culture. It's just to me, it's still, a, you know, a, and maybe it's hard. And once again, maybe I'm jaded on this. It's a, you know, it's it's a whole L.A. based, you know, half drug induced based, you know, young kids and teenagers that are using the fact that you have open access to create music and they're taking advantage of it. You know, do you know how much music, to me, you have to go through of Odd Futures Collective to even get to, like, listen to something like Goblin? Yeah. How much BS you have to listen to to get there? That's yes. what I'm like. I can't, I can't even get to God because I got to go through so much other stuff, like, for real? Like, listen to this on a every, like, as a collective. It's not like the Wu-Tang. We say, all right, well, I can listen to this. I can listen to this. I can listen to this. To get to this, where it's like, all right, this, I get it. To so me, you're saying as a collective, they don't have a high level of quality as oh, a collective? Oh, God, no. You're saying the collectives aren't new. But 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 the young, they have no parameters in which to create by. None. So that means they can just create whatever they they can wake up and just do this and boom. There it is. And they can put it out there. They can distribute it in any form they want to. They don't they have no regulations to do anything. And sometimes when you're dealing with creativity and dealing with art, it's good to have parameters because parameters shape what can make it better. As opposed to just doing what's off the at 19 years old, just doing whatever and thinking that's art. Do you, do you think that's what's fueling the popularity? I think, yeah. I think that's that why. That makes it, it so out there that. I, I think that's what's the difference in them saying, all right, you know what, man? We're going to take this odd future situation and we're going to have like, you know, it's going to be 10 of us. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be 10 of us. We're going to do this camp and this is what we're going to do. As opposed to like, there's 60 of us. And mm-hmm. all 60 of us are MCs and producers. We're just going to, mm-hmm. hey, here you go. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. How much quality stuff are you going to get out of that? And at this point in time, maybe in my life, you got only so much time where you get to deal with listening to new art. <laughs> so, Isaac, so maybe they're squandering their opportunity. I mean, like, for example, RZA had a plan. He sat everybody down mm-hmm. yeah, in 1992 plan, yeah. and said, look, give me five years. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I'll get us to number but here's, one. But see, here's the thing. Though. I love, you know, Rizzo and I love him for doing that. I love everything that followed that. But this is what I see in our future. There's always some appeal when you're breaking rules in the counterculture. You know, there's always an appeal for that, that, that amongst the youth, you know, there's always an, a, a hunger for some group or some person to just say after rules, I'm gonna do this. And I kind of, I like that about our future. I like the fact that, Frank Ocean, who is completely, you know, when I first heard, uh, not Channel Orange, when I first heard uh, Nostalgia Ultra, mm-hmm. I didn't know he was a part of Our Future. When I found out afterwards, I'm like, wow, this cat is a part of, part of, you know, the same people who are producing or, you know, kicking out Tyler stuff. That was appealing to me. Um, I do see that I haven't listened to all of their stuff. Like Scoop said, he had to wade through a lot of stuff, you know, of bad material or bad quality. I haven't listened to a lot. Like all those cats that we mentioned at the top of the segment, I haven't listened to all their stuff. 
maybe I've only listened to the good stuff. I've listened to all the Tyler stuff. Earl Sweatshirt. I think Earl only had one album. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Earl. Um, and I've got another you know, one coming out right now. Okay. And and then also Frank stuff. So I've been impressed by what I've heard so far, especially Wolf. I think Wolf is the pinnacle. Wolf is better uh, in many ways than Channel Orange to me. Um, but I see the appeal in them as far as being this kind of counterculture group and breaking the rules group. The question I have though with them is that specifically Tyler, if you listen to Tyler's subject matter, he kind of answered this on Wolf because I wonder subject matter wise, where is he going to go? Because generally his his rhymes revolve around a, a lot of the same material. Um, uh, you know, just basically being, I don't give a F about anything, fellatio, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like he just kind of revolves around the same things. On Wolf, he kind of branched out from that. Mom calling and calling. I'm on my way to a show. I answered. She crying, saying Sadie is dying. The doc said she only had a week for us to speak before she diseased. This cancer was just eating her cheeks up. Fuck. Nah, this is really awkward for me, bruh I hang the phone up and adjust my seat back And started to think, like, what the fuck just happened? I never had a death and I just seen her a week ago Meet them at the hospital, I should In between a set of bad, bad, not good Lionel asked what happened, I said it's bad, bad, not good Just take me to the cedar cyanide off of Oakwood Getting there, family sitting center chair Awkward in the lobby, it was floating in a thinning air Getting there, need a sticker saying how I got in there There's a room, open up the curtain, she's just sitting there, hello There's a song on there, I can't remember the name But he talks about, um, he talks about, uh Uh, A girl I think he talks about Breaking up with a girl He talks about how You know He's supposed to like This one fan He does He's he's just kind of like He's much more experimental And he expands on Wolf That I like And I I, I like the lyrical content A little bit more on Wolf Than what I've heard From him before Where I'll agree with Isaac Is I think his production Style is maturing I think If you look at Blow on Bastard Or She On uh, Goblin Or Bimmer or the amazing, incredible, exquisite Tree Home 95 on Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, I think definitely he's got a maturation of production style, but I definitely don't agree that he's just talking about counterculture stuff on all his albums. I mean, to me, the thing that I love about him and the thing that I don't want to say makes him a genius, but the thing that puts him into genius contention is the subject matter. And he is, to me, a huge amount more emotionally and honestly expressive than many 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 other MCs doing it right now the thing that I love most about him is I relate I relate to a time when I was 17 or 18 and that stuff that's the stuff he talks about and that's the that's the stuff that but, I really, but, but he really also to t- but he also speaks about raping women you relate to that Oh, I don't relate to that any more than I did when Gravediggers talked about... Right, Biggie talked about raping children. He talked about raping... Yeah, he never talked about raping children and throwing them off a bridge. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I I agree with Jay. I agree with you. I think that trying to put myself back into that mind state of being 19 or 17 or however, however old he is, I, I agree with you. I think he is much more honest and raw than a lot of MCs out there. I think, though, he's still, and I, I saw more of this in Wolf. I saw him kind of breaking away from this even more in Wolf. But he's still kind of articulating himself through um, means that are very, I don't want to say immature, but they are. You know what I'm saying? They mm-hmm. are. It's like he's articulating these uh, observations through a somewhat Im- immature means. And I think that 
that's cool for his for his age group. I'm I'm kind of interested in seeing what he's going to be talking about five years from now. You know, where Do you he's going to make five where years. Where he's going to? Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. His his musical acumen, you know, what I'm saying, and his his daring as an artist and his. Um, although I recently saw an interview where he said he's he's bored with being an MC, which is probably why on Tree Home '95 he had the good sense to let Erica and the other vocalists. Uh, go Coco. ahead, yeah, Coco, do what they did, and he just stepped out of the way, which I thought was a brilliant move. Um, but I, I think that he's such an artist that he will be around five years. Odd future, I, mean, I don't know, he, but Tyler, yeah, he's definitely got a very mature musical palette. If you only have to listen to Finn Ace on the Odd Future tape, Volume One, where he's just like listing albums after albums after albums that influenced him and you know he's got under the cherry moon in there he's got baduism in there he's got royer's albums in there he he lists a huge amount it almost it, it speaks like my record collection is incredibly impressive but if you were to listen to a track like she from goblin it kind of traverses from vulnerability into extreme aggression to i can't understand why this girl doesn't like me if she rejects me i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm I, you know i'm just gonna explode etc that's an emotion that so many kids can speak to there is however an element of his lyricism that disturbs me and um, but on the whole uh, credit to him and and the whole camp i think what they're doing is beautiful and to limit it also to an la experience i think is is not uh, fair because no, I, wasn't limit- I was way beyond that i wasn't, I limit- I wasn't limiting to la experience i'm just saying having no but scoop i think scoop i said right. i did it is and it is you can't tell me you talk about what's fact is fact is la basis what it is LA it is, is but, but look at the attention it's getting if it was limited to an la experience it wouldn't be getting the attention worldwide that it is in japan or in london no, you can't say that. Because no, I think the genesis, though, I think because I, th- I think you guys are saying two different things. I think that. Yeah, I think we uh, are too. John, you're right. As far as the impact and where it's being felt is all over the world. I think the genesis of it, though, I think yeah. L.A. was the perfect like incubator for something like this to happen. Uh, yeah, you like we're saying the perfect incubator was Staten, Staten Island. Island or, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Well, I mean, I'm all for I'm all for kids being able to to relate to the music that they're listening to, because music I think more than any other art form has the ability to manifest interpersonal feelings. Yeah, poetry. Uh, yeah, but when was the last time you've heard a poem resonating with you know ten million people? Well, you're talking about kids expressing their emotions creatively through poetry. I think it has the same impact amongst kids, but maybe okay, poetry doesn't get the same outlets that music does. There you go. But it, if, if you follow like Brave New Voices and Poor Societies across the country, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Like mm-hmm. they just had one here and they had one. In the, you, the way kids express themselves through poetry mm-hmm. is much like music. It just doesn't have like the radio outlet and the internet the outlet. Okay, right, right, right. It does right to slam. That's raw emotion. And that's what really you get to see what the core of, especially young individuals are about right now and they get to express it. But where I'm going with it is, is that sometimes our future is we can, so we should. And I don't think that you always should just because you can. That's my Going point. back to your thing about, yeah. you know, they haven't, they, they haven't, they, I don't think they've learned that yet. And I think they're getting paid because they are canning. You know, I just made up that word, but they're canning and they're, they're getting paid for that. Yeah, and here's the thing, because they have no parameters, it goes like we have a, a, a clique or whatever, a society here in, in Chicago with the kids these days camp with the Save Money camp. You got MCs like uh, Chance, the rapper, and like Vic, who, because they have parameters, because they're trying to build this Save Money clique uh, inside of kids these days as a group, but because they have someone like Jack Wilco, like, all right. Y'all do your thing, but here's what you have to do. No chance that's not good. You need to come better than that. 
you know, Vic, nah, you can spit better than that. Checks and balances. You yeah, you're anybody, like, look, if you're really trying to do this, you don't have anybody art. sending the tape back. Right, nothing. And that's the difference, you know, I maybe, think. Maybe I haven't heard a lot of this material because I'm thinking, I know, just listening to Wolf, I mean, maybe we just should remove the big names out of this because it sounds like you guys are speaking to a lot of these other cats within our future not having checks and balances. I, I can't imagine that Wolf happened without checks and balances. Well, I'm saying as a collective. Not, not, not necessarily going straight on Tyler's hits and misses. Or, or Frank. Or Frank's hits and misses. You know, I'm strictly dealing with the collective of our future in that what I've listened to, the domos, the, the mixtapes, the, you know, whatever. Because I think the mellows, they're, they're, you know, the really, it's like, it's so much stuff you have to listen to as a collective that's like, really comes off to me what could be throwaway music. I'm not saying that they have as good a hit rate as Wu-Tang or even as you know as death row in their heyday what i am saying is that there is great material there like we've already said it jet age of tomorrow mellow hype the internet anything that matt martians or how williams do i mean there is great great material there but yeah you're right i i do think that they can they can get more cohesive i do think that they can get more directed and i think the production style on wolf maturing in the way that it is you know, I look forward to more and more and more of that. Right, and I think my problem is that I'm at the point in my life where I don't have time to go through all of that to get to that. You think you could if you were 20? Hmm? Maybe. <laughs> so your, your time is more precious now. It is. It really yeah. is. It really is. You're right. More precious than mine. For real. <laughs> you know? Uh, you got more time. Apparently, you got You're acting like you 80, dog. Like, you could be over at any I minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just... I don't have time for that. No, but Tomorrow you may be my no, last day. It, it, no, no. I said at a point in my life, I didn't necessarily mean age. It's that you're doing so much stuff. You're trying to do so much stuff and juggle stuff that you only have so much um, uh, dispensable time to you give. You spend it listening to Kelly Clarkson. I understand. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's bring this on. Hold on, bring, hold on, hold on real quick, though. Just looking at the collective and to play devil's advocate for a second. As a collective group, as a bunch of individual artists who like to hang out with each other and kind of feed off of each other and bounce stuff off of each other. I'm not mad at them because a lot of times with art, you know, you got to have, you got to create a lot of BS in order to find the brilliance. But you, you don't know? have to release that BS. Well, I mean, cats got to eat, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm not mad at them for having the, you know, say, hey, let's, you know, let's all hang out, kick it, you know, let's just create some music, you know what I'm saying? See what happens. If it ends up being a lot of BS, I'll just skip it and I'll go right to Wolf. I'll go right to Channel Orange. I'll go right to Goblin. I'll go right to the last Odd Future mixtape, whatever. But I'm not mad at them for, you know, having You're not to, mad at them for the attempt. Yeah, for attempting and failing. You know what I'm saying? If they fail, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, if you fail and then I get Wolf, keep failing and giving me brilliance. See, but if we got to go through 23 albums to get to Wolf, I just like, wow. Well, bro. let's bring it on home. Is is, is our future the Wu-Tang of... the of, of are, are we going to have a, a, a debate about what's the best, you know... Sophomore no. effort of a odd future collective. No, member. because you're not. I don't dealing. think we. I don't think we will be because we probably won't. <laughs> I, I don't think we we'll, we won't be talking to each other. At we, that don't point. Ha, we don't have a time. <laughs> but I think someone will. I think you someone. Really? Will. But before we bring it home, before we bring it home, there's one thing I want to talk about. Can I make a Wu Tang um, point before you do that, Jay? Real quick, please, please. I don't. I don't think that we'll be having that conversation simply because I think if you remove Tyler, Frank, and maybe on the on the MC tip, you know, right. what I'm saying not on the production tip, but on the MC tip. They don't have the quality, you know what I'm saying, of those of Wu Tang. They don't have a you know bench. Yeah, they don't have a bench. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's not it's not happening like that. 
Um, but I still think as a collective, you know what I'm saying, we'll be talking about them. I, I could see that. I could definitely see us talking about them. Go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. Well, well I do. Th- before my point, I do think that when Earl Sweatshirt's album drops, his sophomore album, I do think that it'll change our perception of them. Um, but what I want to what I want to say is they have an unacceptable use of homophobic slurs. Unacceptable. Mm, yeah. They do. How, get, how do they get I, away I, with I, that? How do they get away with on. it? Because I, they have I, I get, no parameters. Go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. If you're asking how do they get away with that, mm-hmm. I think they fall back on a kind of some of my best friends are black type yeah, scenario. Yeah, exactly. And, which is, ugh. And, and I think it's unacceptable because none of us would be cool with the cool white boy in our crew using certain words. You know what right. I mean? They wouldn't be. They certainly wouldn't be. Right? But, or they but, shouldn't be anyway. Right, but um, and I but, think his his impulse may for using it, or their impulse for using it may not even be relevant to homophobia. They may be one hundred percent genuine when they say that no, 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 we're not homophobic. It's just a word. But but I think you know what it almost kind of uh, you know goes back to the point I made before. Tyler uses he might be because the f word faggot kind of dropped out of hip hop. You know, over the last I don't know maybe five maybe 10 years but because it uh, used to be it, it, used, it used to be thrown around you know left and right but it kind of dropped out tyler may be single-handedly bringing it back by himself and i'm listening and i'm like how are they you know because they got uh, uh homosexuals in their crew how are they you know but i agree with you it's kind of like that oh well my best friend is you know gay so i can say this and i don't buy that either but i'll make this a point as, a, as you know devil devil's advocating it real quick the same way I felt about when they told Mike that he had to take the anti-Semitic slur off his album. I feel the same. If you're going to tell Tyler he can't, you know, he got to take the gay slur, he can even stop saying nigga too. Take all the slurs I agree, off but of hey, Isaac, you know where I stand on that. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, So, but I, I'm with you though. I, I listen to his stuff and I'm like, and again, if it's, you know, young kids are listening to this, Tyler is single-handedly bringing back some of the homophobia that's been lost. He's bringing it back because it's like he, every other word he's like that. I'm like, dude, and, I he, and he may not he mean uses it, it but, to describe. You know. It's not even gay stuff. He be using it to describe stuff like we might say MF. Cereal. You know what I'm saying? It's like he no, uses but that's, it. That's I'm the like, whole the point. <laughs> Cereal. Well, I'm not, you know, I've, I've never been for uh, um, censoring artists. I think they should be able to say whatever they want to say. But. I agree with you with, you know, Odd Future's uh, popularity among young kids. It is very surprising to me that no one is taking them to to task. Tyler, I've, I've seen some things where it's like people have called him out for that, but nowhere to the extent that you think they would call him out for that mm. that level of uh, of uh, homophobia. Well, whereas once again, and we'll talk about this later on in some shows down in the future, this is where hip-hop journalism needs to step in and play a role. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. Because they chant, they, that's their man. That's you know, right. That's their man. But they love him and this, that, and the other. But at the same time, nobody's challenging this dude to be better, to be smarter, to be more mature. Nobody's challenging well, even, anybody in their camp. Even broadsheet media, like The Guardian or whatever, when they cover it, they're like, oh, he says this. We don't really think that's the real reason, though. Anyway, next issue. <laughs> right, next, right, next right topic, moving on. Next, you know, <laughs> moving there's right no along. challenge. There's no... There's no challenge. There's no, well, hang on, stand by your stand by your words. And that's my, what I said, they have no parameters. That's the point I made from the very, very beginning. And as somebody who, once again, as somebody who only has like the wherewithal or the stomach to deal with this after like 
the fourth or fifth faggot in one word, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Why should I go any further? I'm like, I'm, I don't have time for this. You ain't got time for it. Yeah, that's, right. why, that's why I don't have time. Come on now, for real. Cause, cause, time is, you know, time is precious for you. No, but it's, <laughs> I'm just playing with but, you. But, but, you, but you get what I'm saying. Because <laughs> no, you know, if this saying. is what I, I got to go through, then I got to go through. It is, it is bracing. It is, it's, you know, listening to Wolf, man, you know, the music on Wolf is, it's just out of this world. You know what I'm saying? I just, I really love it. But there is times I'm like listening to this dude's lyrics and I'm like, ugh. I do. You're killing me with this, you right. know, with this, these, this negativity. And I hate to sound like my parents did when I was listening to NWA, but at the same time, that's you know, but it's see, like, dude, what, what are you talking about that, you know, warrants he, all these efforts? Okay, being he, but, but here's, here's a great point. Is there a difference? And I'm asking this in the form of a question. Is there a difference in the art form of what NWA was doing and what Odd Future is doing? Yes. I think so, but I'm not asking it in the form of a question, so I'm asking you. I, I want to hear Arthur. Uh, he said yes. I hear NWA was the antithesis of public enemy. And exposure, they, they were consciously exposing America from the, the West Coast vantage. That's what, see, to me. What was going on in the East Coast was. It's a, it's a false comparison. But I'm saying, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I think it sounds like you're asking is to me, our future have a message? No, no. To right to my no, point, my, my, my thing was that NWA. I could see if your parents say, "Why are you listening to this?" To me, NWA there was a purpose. I mean, that's a for what they were doing. For for our future, I don't see. But I'm the saying purpose. they don't. They don't have to have a purpose. Humpty Hump didn't have a purpose, but I liked his music. You know what I'm saying? It's like that's different. You don't though. have to. You don't have to have a purpose. And you know, I'm straight NWA public enemy. But I'm saying. You don't have to have a purpose to prove yourself as an artist to me. You just have to be serious about your art. Tyler, to me, is serious about his art. See, I... I, I yeah, he's I, serious about his art. He's an artist. I would say one Tyler over 10 Beyonce's or 10 Jay-Z's. Okay, well... Any, any day of the week. I don't dispute that Tyler, the creator, is an artist. I don't dispute that. I, I just wish he didn't have so many cans of paint to draw paint from. <laughs> and let me, see what, let me see what you can do with... Let me see what you can do with four colors. You know what? Fair enough, but sometimes you have to, you know, Miles Davis said, you have to play a long time to learn how to play like yourself. Mm-hmm. And it may be that he has to do that too. It may, and, I th- and I really think he's getting there. I really think that with Wolf, there's a real, as I said, maturation of sound. Okay, let's move on. Let's do a what if. Uh, what if, where we take, a, uh, we, 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 we take an existing scenario and we flip it on its head and said, okay, well, what if it went this way? So for today... Almost what like if, things that make you go, hmm. Oh, God. But even no, better. No, 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 no. Please no, don't. No, no, no. No, Arsenio Hall. No, Arsenio. Y'all hating on Arsenio? How can you hate on Arsenio? Okay, we'll do, we'll do Arsenio topic later. All right. Arsenio did a lot for us, man. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what if Michael Jackson did not moonwalk in 1983 on the Motown 25 television show? Mm. Mm. What would be different? He would have done it nah, in the video, but it, but, it, but it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been, been, been the same. Did you see Jay? Did they? Did you? Did they broadcast? And the video was already. The video was already yeah, shot. Miraculously, they Billy did. Jean. Okay, so yeah. they broadcast. He and he didn't move. He, he's never moonwalked yeah, in a video, though. No, but I'm saying the video for Billy Jean at the time had already been shot. It wouldn't so have been the same because okay, look at the setup. First of all, it was all the Jack before he did that solo. It was all the Jacksons together for the first time. Jermaine came back. They performed together. This is the first time that happened. I don't know how long before that moment. Almost ten years. Right. So that was like huge. I remember, again, going back to last time we were talking about, you remember where you were. I remember being in front of the TV, you know, being able to stay up late to watch this show. So when that happened, that was big enough in and of itself. 
like those songs. All of a sudden, they start walking off, and Michael is still standing there mm-hmm. and talking to us. You know, and it's like, what the hell is going on? The so he's song. talking, and we're getting excited while he's talking, but then when that beat dropped, dude, it was like, oh, because you remember that was, I think at that time, what, what month was that? I remember it was like, Billy Jean was at was the top. Eight. It was at the top. Okay, it was it at was the, the top, top of the charts yep. at that point. So we were already excited about the song. Now we're getting to see him do live. And remember, this is 83. Oh, right. This was, wait, wait, wait. This was 1984 then. No, no. this was 83. It's 83. Okay, because Thriller was released late, late 82. 82, right. right. Yeah. So, and this is before YouTube. This is before all this other stuff. So, we didn't get to see live performances like this that often. Mike starts performing Billie Jean. So, he throws so the hat off first. That's the key. That throws the hat off. Remember, he had the sequin glove. Yep. That moonwalk moment was like the jump off for the rest of his, that decade for him. You know what I'm saying? It informed everything he did after that. So, if he doesn't do that, in that context, that changes everything. That changes everything. See, I look at it as, uh, if remembering the, the broadcast, if he doesn't do that, I think the conversation may have shifted, maybe I'm wrong, to Marvin Gaye. Doing what's going on first doing the piano. He did Marvin, he did what's going on, and maybe he gave that kind of like black history forever. speech and all that before yeah, that. Yeah. Maybe that today is a result of the yesterday spent in wooden churches. Singing the praises of our maker in joyous harmony and love. And part of it has to be the songs we sang, working under the blazing sun to help pass the hard times. Uh, yesterday was also Bessie Smith, Satchmo, New Orleans, gospel choirs, slavery, folk songs. But if you think about it, Marvin was dead a year later. That would have been his last live performance, performance. on TV. That would have taken on a whole nother residence. But that would have been hindsight, though. Because we would have looked back on that. Mike's performance. No, I get what no, you're saying. That's what I'm saying. If Mike's performance didn't exist, then we would have looked back on Motown 25, and that would have been what we spoke about. Mm-hmm. Like, this is Marvin. Marvin Gaye would have been the centerpiece of that broadcast okay, as but, opposed to Michael. But for Mike, how would that, and I, I want to hear Jay chime in on that. What would, have that, what would that have meant for the rest of his career, for Mike's career, if he did moonwalk? I don't think it would have changed anything because Michael, for Thriller, you don't sell 40 million albums. Um, by not being a global artist. And most of the world, most of the people who bought that album, you know, we're talking not just African-Americans here. We're talking every every race of people in America and outside of America bought that album. And most of those people were not watching Motown 25. Mm-hmm. So yes, it has been an indispensable moment in all of our psyches and probably most of our demographic listening, but not all of them. And a huge amount of people... They wouldn't have even been aware of it. And I think he would have eventually, with the outlets he had, he would have done it at some point in time, whether it be an MTV Music Awards or a Grammy Awards. He would have eventually done that movie. Yeah. It may not have gotten the same impact, but he, would, he may have done it in a video, which he's really never done. He would have taken advantage of the outlets that he had to do that move. And the, the, mo- the signature moment just would have been shifted to something else. I can't, but I can't imagine, I can't remove that move, the moonwalk from that context. You know what I'm saying? I can't take it out of the context of what happened on that evening between him and his brothers. No, it was indelible. And him being so it, it it basically became the symbol of that moment, of that whole performance. It was indelible. And I think that looking from Mike's perspective, he saw it because that was a part of cementing him as magical. You know what I'm saying? It's like that moment 
because we've talked about that on shows before you know what what really creates artists and makes them iconic really comes down to moments not just their songs but also these moments and where we were when we heard so and so and how that impacted us that move in that moment in that context it was it formed a part of his magic and i see if that didn't happen well let's say let's look at it when it as it did happen michael seeing the impact that it had on his audience not just in not just in the crowd but i'm saying the year that followed that i think that informed everything he did after that i'm not saying Mike wouldn't have been as large, you know what I'm saying, as he ended up being. No, I'm not saying it at all. I'm just saying if you look at every performance that came after that, if you look at his style aesthetic, if you look at the videos, the music, everything kind of, you can go back to that performance and see, because that was the first time I believe he had the glove on. I think that was the first time he had the, that silver glove on, that sequin jacket, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, floods, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? All of that just culminated in that moonwalk. And it's like everything that he did after that can be traced back to that. In some way, some way, shape, or form. So, if it doesn't happen, what do you think happens? It. Uh, I think he still would have been as large as you know. He still would have been Mike. I just think it might, you know, it might actually helped him. I hate to say it, but it might have helped him had that not blown up the way it did because mm-hmm. he never changed after that. I've said this before. After Thriller, when you start looking at Bad and you start looking at these, the dance moves kind of were similar. You know what I'm saying? He kind of stayed on that same aesthetic. Whereas you look at a prince or somebody, they changed a lot. Mike stopped kind of metamorphic. He he kind of stayed stayed in the same lane. I think it might have helped him had he grown past that and done something completely different. Even when he was, as we joked about before, even when he was in the subway dancing, it was the same type of dancing and the same vibe that I got from the thriller stuff. You know what I'm saying? So had he not blown up that way with that particular dance aesthetic or that style aesthetic, it would have been interesting to me see what would Mike have done completely different um, other than that. Arturo? (laughs) I'm really trying not to say it. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. I think if Mike had not moonwalked, Thriller would not have sold 40 million albums. Really? How many had it sold? But Purple Rain album? would have sold 20 million oh, more. Man. Oh! <laughs> 20 more? <laughs> you see Scoop's face. <laughs> so you're saying Mike moonwalked, messed Prince up. Yep. You understand my face now? Because Prince can't do that. He could, the heels, he couldn't do it. <laughs> but do you understand my face? I'm trying to. You know yes. what I'm about to say. I want to hear the logic behind this one. Ain't no logic. <laughs> right. Logic. It's like Tyler the Creator. There's no logic. <laughs> come on, man. Come at me. T- t- explain that one. When Mike Moonwalk, he sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Mm-hmm. I think that is really it. I think that the combination of of Thriller coming out what a month before 1999 coming out that if there was no moonwalk thriller would not have had the shelf life that it had prince would have ascended even further up right so the moonwalk extended the shelf life of yeah because see the moonwalk i think the moonwalk got michael on mtv Mm. and if michael wasn't on mtv that's the prince was coming to be on mtv that's the point so that would have happened if he had never done that that's a great point if he had never done that, he may have never gotten on MTV because they were not handle, having black artists on there. That was the whole fight that they went through. That may be the greatest point to come out of that. Others, if he doesn't do that, then he wouldn't have gotten on MTV. Maybe Prince would have gotten on MTV because his look was more accessible and his sound was more accessible. Mm, his sound was fun. Uh, 1999 was funkier than, than uh, Thriller. Well, yeah, it, but what? it was more rock. Well, now you're going to beat it all of a sudden. I was thinking you were more of a... You know, guitar driven, you know, 
I don't want to say safer no, lyrically, I, I but I think that's a great point. I just want to look at the chronological. Are we sure that Thriller or that Billie Jean, the video wasn't getting airplay on MTV before Motown 24? Oh yeah. Okay, so after it was after that, it was August it was 83? it was after that. Okay, I, I thought it was before that. Okay. And even if it was, you know, I don't think it was. I'm with you because I'm well, in the, the fight. Video came after the video came after the this, performance. Hmm. Yeah, it was already have, charting, but you the have, video had. Oh, it was the number one song at the time, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, but it wasn't the number one pop song. No, nah, was it? I don't. Well, I don't. Now that I don't know. Hmm. I thought it was the number one pop song, but I don't think it did it. I thought the video came afterwards. And the I video know came a, after. Right. The video came after. And I remember the resistance that they had at MTV for playing "quote unquote" R and B and right. black music. Right. It you was know? the release of Thriller, Motown Twenty Five, Moonwalk, Billie Jean's on MTV. Mm. If that's one, true, two, that's, three. Yeah, you're right. Your point just deadened it. That's that's it. <laughs> and because and Prince didn't release anything but in 1983. Okay, let let's go to connection. Does it just affect Prince, or does it affect Madonna? Does it affect Bruce Springsteen? Mm-mm. Okay. No, because I mean Bruce Springsteen is a whole nother ilk. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. You probably wouldn't know Bruce Springsteen's fan even saw Mike. You might have read about it in People or something like that. Okay. But I mean, I'm just being making it into a caricature. But no, I don't think so. I I okay. think that I think I think. I think the genres that Springsteen was in was so closed to the genre that Mike that Mike was in when when Thriller was released. Okay, what about Madonna though? Just Madonna, from an icon from an iconic standpoint, because we're dealing with what Isaac said, a magical moment. And if you take that magical moment away, they're different individuals who shared that spotlight with him. But are going to benefit. Well, point, I don't think either one Prince of them had that iconic moment like that. But to I mean, Bruce, Bruce is you know Bruce is. Uh, Bruce is so more grassroots mm-hmm. than either one of them. But at that time, but he Arthur, became, it sounds like you're saying though, 1983 was a crucial year for Prince. Meaning, had Mike not moonwalked and gave Prince more room to breathe in that year, I believe so. Then Purple Rain coming out in '84 would have been that was he, that was you know it, it what what 1983 would have been the alley oop and 1984 <laughs> would have been a dunk. <laughs> Arthur made a sport reference. I know. I, like I can't that. believe it. That might have been the best one we've had on this show. Uh, that's something to think about. That's a good one. Our next topic today is the lost city of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia became the mecca for R&B uh, in the 90s and also also became uh, established um, Atlanta as a uh, as, as a third coast, if you will, for 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 hip hop. In the last 15 years, 10 years, you haven't heard too much out of, out of, out of Atlanta. I mean, uh, 10. Okay, 10. I say 10 years. I mean, Usher's still going strong, but it's not you the s- machine anymore. Right, yeah, Ma- the s- machine of Usher, Ludacris, TLC. Um, T.I., you still hear groups. You know, you still hear, especially on the hip hop front, you, st- you still hear from these groups. But in the 90s, it was, you know, Atlanta was everything. You know what I'm saying? Atlanta was the the spot to be for not just for for people in general, not just for young uh, black folks, but I think for uh, R and B stars, R and B artists, producers, musicians, cats from. I mean, but L A and Babyface set up shop there, and that was the centerpiece of everything that went on in the music uh, in Atlanta in the '90s. Was they had their Motown, LaFace Records was their Motown, you know, and they were looking for talent, and and everybody went there to make it easier for Babyface and. Uh, um, um, L.A. Reed, yeah, L.A. Reed, to basically launch careers, you know, and the the difference now, I think, in that is just moves mediums. It's not music anymore. It's television and film. 
Tyler Perry now has a studio down there, and that's where everybody's going. If you look at Atlanta now, it's they're still relevant to pop culture from a creative standpoint. It's just not music. It's 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 movies and television. You know, you look at all the reality shows that are coming out of Atlanta. Everything. Well, I think that's a part of the fact that Atlanta, probably starting in the late '80s and uh, early '90s, became kind of this this mythological place where black folks felt okay here's a city we can move to and you know surround ourselves with other successful black black folks who are hungry to succeed hungry to do things in the business arena whatever whatever and also atlanta is a very easy place to live it's not like moving to chicago you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying atlanta is a very easy place to live from a cost point of view um from learning it's just it's just an easy city uh so i think that what we're seeing now is that, you know, that kind of branch off into, like you said, movies and other, you know, t television shows or whatever is because that population of black transplants is there. It's a large population of black transplants. Um, but I also think that's what hurt it musically. You know, that's why what was going on in the early 90s and mid 90s when it was I think it was at its peak, probably in 95, 96, you know, mm -hmm. with the release of uh, Crazy Sexy Cool. I think was the the pinnacle of the Atlanta scene. You know that to me, that was like the uh, the centerpiece of of all these things coming together. Um, and Southern Playlistic could come out before that, uh, right before that. I think maybe about maybe even a year before that. Um, Nine, uh, Southern Playlistic came out in '94. Okay, and then then now, AT Aliens came out in '96 too. Right. So look at that that time span. Um, I don't think that they were able to uh, hold on to that. Because most of the people who are making it happen, Jermaine Dupri, Dallas Austin, notwithstanding, but most of the people who are making that that magic happen weren't from Atlanta. They didn't. They had no. T they had no ties to this community. Um, they had no roots there. L.A. Reid and Babyface left. You know, they left. I think maybe, or maybe 2000, maybe shortly after that. They weren't there um, too long after this peak. Atlanta doesn't have the same um, context of being a um, of. Uh, like a Detroit, you know what I'm saying? Or even an LA or New York or Chicago. Atlanta is, like I said, it's such an easy city to live in that you have all these transplants, transplants living there, bringing their own culture with them, but not establishing a culture within Atlanta that feeds music. But I, also, I, I agree, but I also think you look at the power of television and how it's basically taken away, taking the life out of everything musically there because half of the artists, music artists that went there to do music are now doing television. T.I. got a show. The Braxtons got a show. Mary Mary got a show. Um, uh, we go down the line. Well, yeah, I mean, but you even look at Dallas Austin started doing sound. I mean, you know, soundtracks and started doing movies. Mm -hmm. You look at what happened to Andre 3000. He started to launch out, spend more time with doing movies. I think. Does he still live in Atlanta? I think he does. He live in L.A. or Atlanta? I think he may live in L.A. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of the television shows are reality shows, and that speaks to my to the to the. It's so easy. It's cheap to produce reality. It TV is, shows. and in the home base between Bravo and VH1 and BET, they have set up camp in Atlanta and started churning out like television shows that, that that breed to the lowest common denominator. And because there's so many musical artists there, that's their outlet, and they gravitated to that. TV and film has a power that a lot of times takes artists away from their original creativity. And I think Atlanta now has become, it's, it's more concerned now with being black Hollywood than it was being the next Motown. I, I agree, but I think that the descent of, of Atlanta as a musical city happened before you know, says it's, it's ascent as a, you know, as a more of a, a black Hollywood. And to me, that brings the question then, what 
makes and what sustains more importantly what sustains a musical city we had we had a topic on here several shows about detroit um we've talked about london you know what sustains a city as a musical mecca when nothing else comes in to take it away i, I don't think that's just it though because okay. london and london and uh specifically a new york or a, a la they have a lot more going on than music you know but la but, has always had much more to going on than music. what is it, what is the character of atlanta i've never been there but what is what's woven into the fabric of the city i can describe qualities of london and detroit and chicago and los angeles and new york that all illustrate exactly what makes up the fabric of the city mm. what is it for atlanta is there something for atlanta to me atlanta is almost like the dubai of america yeah that's a mm. good point that's and a, isaac said you said point. that oh you said it like all you said it off isaac mentioned that point and i think arthur can probably speak this too there's really two different atlantas okay a lot of people who move down to atlanta from the north you know they don't really live in atlanta they live in the suburbs surrounding atlanta or you know these very tony neighborhoods on the north side of atlanta um I was both, uh, I guess you could say fortunate or unfortunate, depending upon your point of view. When I moved down there, I lived there for four years. When I moved down there, I lived in College Park. I lived in, you know, on the south side of Camelton Road. It was like I saw the real Atlanta. Uh, I worked at the airport um, for Delta Airlines out there on the ramp with cats who were not only from Atlanta, they was from them little small cities south of Atlanta. So these are like real cats. So it was like I saw the real city and what this is really about. A lot of these transplants who moved down there who were creating this music, they didn't live that. So it's like they didn't soak any of that up and put it in their music. To me, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music is the best example of Atlanta music. You know, it's it's the pinnacle. It's the I can listen to that album now and feel like I'm driving down Old National, you know what I'm saying, or Lakewood Freeway or whatever. It's like I can feel Atlanta through that music. To your your point, John, to your question, I just don't feel like Atlanta, the city, has informed it's musicians the same way London would inform, you know, anyone who comes there to make music. The aesthetic is not strong enough in Atlanta to, mm. you know, power into the music or the artist in a city as it does in other cities. You can't come to Chicago and not be affected by Chicago in your art. It's going to happen. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You can very well move to Atlanta and not have anything in you of Atlanta in your music or your art. Mm. It just, and I think to me, that's, one of the reasons that it was not able to sustain itself as a musical mecca. There's probably some people, though, let's be honest, there's probably some people that's going to argue with us and say, no, it still is that. Mm. Is there an Atlanta sound still that exists? Because there used to be like Dallas created a sound. Organized Babyface noise. Them, organized mm-hmm. noise created a sound. Mm-hmm. You know, Babyface and them created a sound. Hell, like I was telling Arthur, Cameo created a sound. Is there an Atlanta sound right now anymore? Wait, I don't think It's so. interesting. I don't know about right now, but I know that being all the way over here in London um, in the in the early 90s, So So Deaf was sold to us as the Atlanta sound. It was marketed as, as the Atlanta sound worldwide. Now, whether or not that was in and of itself the Atlanta sound, I, I, I no, don't know. No, and it, it was like marketed. It wasn't. I mean, there was a time that when you, when you landed at Hartsfield Airport headed toward the city, there was a billboard. Of So So Deaf. A So So Deaf billboard. The logo. Jermaine yeah. Dupree, not the mayor. Nah, Jermaine Dupree welcoming you to Atlanta. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. With the gold around the, the afro and right. the sunglasses. I don't think, but I think Jermaine's sound, and I love Jermaine, but I think his sound was more influenced by East Coast than it was, um, and maybe even some elements of West Coast G-Funk than yeah, it was. Yeah, I think Organized Noise was much more yeah, organized organically no- grown. The basement and that, you know, live instrumentation mixed with, you know, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the traditional hip-hop. Like I said, Southern funk. play Southern Playlistic was Atlanta on wax. You know what I'm saying? If you want to know what it's like 
East Point, College Park, everywhere, you know, the, the cater, you know what I'm saying? It was Southern playlist. You know? yeah, now, but- outside of that, you had a lot of cats making music down there who, like I said, were not, you know, infused with Atlanta. But it's strange because, you know, as we're talking, that, we're basically saying that about that that five six people were responsible for the sound coming out of Atlanta. And once they either left, got tired, <laughs> once they dipped out, or dipped out, <laughs> right? Then that ended. But you know, and it's also cross genre because REM from Athens, Georgia, was between next to U two the biggest band working in the nineties. And before them, yeah. you had the B-52s that were one of the biggest bands working in late 70s, early 80s, and, and one of the vanguards of, of quote-unquote new wave. They're also from, from Athens, Georgia. And once their careers ended, there was no one coming up behind them. And that's the same situation that we're having here, all of these groups that were, that were production-fueled. No one coming behind them to... Not even pick up the mantle, but just mm. do something new. Classic example is like Tony Braxton, a LaFace artist created through Babyface and L.A. Reid's sound and transported that sound out to the world. She's kind of gone Vegas now, but her sister, Tamar, has one of the top R&B songs out right now. It's a hit. It's a hit, mm-hmm. but it came through a television show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did not come through any aesthetic dealing with Atlanta music. And it's still in Atlanta. But they're using now another outlet to create the music, but there's no sound there. You're asking the question of what happens? How does it leave? If there's not anything there for it to hold on to, mm-hmm. like there's nobody's continuing, even if it's different than what it was. If nobody's still creating an Atlanta sound, like Detroit still has the Detroit sound now. It's right. nothing like the original Motown sound, nothing. Mm-hmm. But there's still, be, because of what Jay Dilla was able to do after that, you know, because of what Eminem is being able to create, you know, because of, of, of what Dwelle has been able to do, there's still a Detroit sound that they hold on to. That's not true with Atlanta. There's still a L.A. sound. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still a New York sound. There's, you come here, there's still a Chicago sound. There's, you, there's a sound that's unique to the place. Yeah. Atlanta does not have that now. And I think, you know, it's, I don't want to be too critical because I love Atlanta. But I think part of the reason that they don't have that sound is because of a lack of culture. You know, this is a city. There are no neighborhoods in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? This this might be. Yeah, there might. This might be like an anthropological study that needs to be done. But just look at the the degree that density and neighborhoods can play on the building of the creation of culture. You know what I'm saying? Because you look at a New York or a London or a Chicago and see the density of these cities and how certain things just spring out of these blocks or these neighborhoods. Mm. In Atlanta, it's like, it's not like that, man. It's like you live in an apartment complex. That's your neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? You go down this long road, there's this, you know, apartment complex that's got 5,000 people living in it. You know what I'm saying? And that's basically your neighborhood. Mm. It, I, it sounds like we're kind of saying that that lack of culture, you know, what I'm saying or that that our cultural identity has transformed or kind of impacted the fact that they don't have a sound. And that to me, I mean, that's, to there's me, a direct correlation. They right had there. they've had opportunities to create sound to me, but they they've, they've never really been grounded. You know, it seemed like they cared enough about it to continue it, mm-hmm. to have that sound represent who they are. 
you know, New Orleans had a sound, and they're still true to that sound. Like, look, the sound of New Orleans, you're going to feel it the minute you get it. We're proud and if you of that. Hear, if you want to hear somebody talk negatively about Atlanta, talk to somebody who's oh, from New Orleans. I live, I, like, they, will, they, look, will tell, they will snap look, off on Atlanta. Look, you, you know lived in Atlanta for yeah. four years. I lived in New Orleans right. for six years. New, I know. They'll snap. I, 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 I they'll do like, know. They will speak to the fact that Atlanta does not have culture. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, somebody exactly. from New Orleans. But the, same, but the same thing, you know, other cities we talk about, L.A. takes pride in their sound. Uh, um, Chicago takes pride in its sound. Even though it's, it's not just the house music sound, it's the old stepping music sound. It's the old blues sound. Chicago takes pride in the music that comes out of here, and we all say it's the sound of Chicago. Mm -hmm. New York takes pride in the sound of hip-hop. They take pride in it. Atlanta doesn't seem, and they've had opportunities. Like you said, from R.E.M. to the B-52s to Cameo to LaFace to... James to, Brown. To, to, to James Brown, thank you, from being from Georgia... They've had many opportunities historically to take advantage of their sound. But the fact that we're talking about maybe two or three generations removed and they have not taken the opportunity to latch onto a sound and take pride in that. I think maybe in the 90s, they function more, the city functioned more as a meeting point. You know what I'm saying? It was like a meeting space for all these creative minds to come to from the north and from the west coast. They would come to Atlanta. You can get a crib there for one third of what you're going to pay, you know what I'm saying, in these other cities. Um, you know, freeways, are, the weather is nice. The freeways are wide and beautiful. It's like cats came there to say, OK, look, this is a place we can be at and create this music and live a certain way that's much better than living in, you know, paying all this money and living in, you know, Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying, or Manhattan. It, to me, it functioned more like that. But uh, again, if you looked at it in the early 90s, from that point of view, you would see this can only last so long. Mm -hmm. This is going to run out. You, so you saw this coming? I saw it coming. I saw what I saw coming. One of the reasons I moved, I left Atlanta is because of, in a sense, it was that I kind of felt it more than I could articulate it. Mm -hmm. There was all these cats and Arthur could probably speak to this too. Everybody you met was either in the studio or about to be in the studio or they got this album coming out. Blah. There were so many people who were talking about they were doing something, but really weren't doing anything. Right. It became that became part of the culture, really, was the fact that everybody's out here making music. We all hustling. We all in the studio when in actuality, that's what. And I didn't feel that. I felt that the vibe there wasn't conducive to somebody who really wanted to do something. It became the anti, it, you know, the reason people moved down there is because it was conducive to that. After a while, to me, it kind of started feeling like, eh. This ain't the place to be if you really want to make some stuff happen. So let's bring this home. I mean, is there a future for Atlanta? So, I mean, do we have to pack up uh, Chance the Rapper, uh, Miguel, send them down to Atlanta? You <laughs> no, know, leave, leave Chance here with us. <laughs> I think, I, I, actually, I want to hear Jay speak. I don't know if he, you have a, a point of view on that, Jay. Well, I think that wherever you go in the world, you're going to find people who are doing something incredible. And I think even, even in Atlanta, I'm sure Joy still uh, works down there. In fact, I know she does. And I think The Chronicle as well, the old school band, not old school band, the band The Chronicle with Little John Roberts, Phil Davis, Kebby Williams, they started out there. And now, you know, those cats are working with Jill Scott, Chris Dave, a whole bunch of different people. Wherever you go in the world, you're going to find talent. But I think you're right. I think Atlanta really does seem to be like almost a man-made metropolis in the midst of suburbia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't think sound or or art necessarily grows out of that level of comfort it probably sounds quite cliched on a sort of Mary J Blige you've got to be in pain to create good art but I do believe that you have to have an emotional experience to create art and I think particularly black music seems to just suck up the city influences from around it when it creates and mm. I, 
you know, it just sounds like from what your, you know, your personal experience and certainly from what I don't know about Atlanta, but I do know about every other city, um, it seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they could have a future if they found some way to pull, if it's artists who are from Atlanta, you know, channeling Atlanta through their music. I, like I said, it's hard because I think the city has a lack of culture, but I think that if groups, you know, who were like an outcast or like a, Big Gip and uh, my man's group. God, why is that name? Just well, Goody Mob. Goody Mob. You know, Goody Mob's first album. Dungeon you know Family. Who's, who's that, that looking at? That was like real Atlanta music to me. You know what I'm saying? But it kind of got, as it got more and more popular, it's like it almost got diluted. Where it's like, would that you say? Kept, would you say that Big Boy is still creating Atlanta music? I would. Uh, you know what? I I only listened to uh, the last album once. I would agree with Scoop though. I think that he's still representative you know what I'm saying of that that sound per se but then again because it's not resonating so much I just it doesn't resonate with me the way it did you know back in the day and I, I don't know if that speaks to the fact of you know the, like I said the culture just isn't as strong as it needs to be to channel that type of, of that's feel. a good point because the Norris Barkley albums CeeLo doesn't inject Atlanta into no, that it project. Not at all. He ejects LA. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, and that's what I'm saying. It, it, if it has a future, it has to be from Atlanta. It has to be of Atlanta. You know, and I don't know T.I., you know, in his lyrics, you know, lyrically, T.I. is 100% Atlanta. Uh, East or uh, uh, Bankhead. You know what I'm saying? But not recently. To, read, to, to, to take that and transform that into a sound because I think it's a sound is necessary. It's very yeah. different. Yeah, it's very different. But it has to be more than one person, to be honest with you. Yeah, Big Boy can't, even if he is staying grounded and then trying to stay true to that, he can't do it alone. You know, uh, because... So it's not going to be a uh, Atlanta Golden Age anytime soon. Right. <laughs> Much to your chagrin, because I know you like a Golden Age to happen anyway. <laughs> I like a Golden Age. <laughs> okay, let's do a roundtable. Today's roundtable, Blank is the artist Blank was supposed to be. So, so-and-so is the artist that so-and-so was supposed to be. I am not going to go first. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a good one, though. Scoop. I, I think I've said mine on this show many times before, and, and Jahan gets upset when I do say it. Rashawn Patterson is the artist that Tevin Campbell was supposed to be. I thought Jahan agreed with you on that. No. no. Oh, no, you didn't, because you, yeah, you, yeah, you said Tevin. And I, I love Tevin Campbell. But I just think that they sound similar to me, and the respect that Rashawn Patterson has gotten as just a vocalist inside the music industry. He's basically, to me, what Tevin Campbell was supposed to be growing up. They just remind me of each other just so much, just, just from an aesthetic standpoint and from a sound standpoint. I've always said, even though Jahan, 
you know, disagrees well, with me. You know what? I don't actually. I, let me clear this up. I don't actually disagree with you. I think that Tevin Campbell is his own artist, and he is an incredible artist. I agree with you to the extent that I wish that Tevin Campbell had had the career that Rasan Patterson has had. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Right. And he was supposed to have it. Yeah, I agree. He, and I agree. That, that's what I meant. He that's was supposed to be the second coming. Yeah. yeah he was I don't think they. The I don't man. think they're mutually exclusive. I guess is the only point I have tried to argue in the past. I think that they could have. They could have stood right next to each other. Yeah, but that's the answer to that question. I think you know, that's it. Tevin Campbell. You know. I'm not mad at that. Okay. Whew, I got away with that. <laughs> Jahan, you want to go next? <laughs> I know, right? Dodge <laughs> the bullet. <laughs> I can you, take next. Okay. Jesse Boykins the third is the artist that Chico DeBarge was supposed to be. Ah. <laughs> oh. Ah. Good one. Good ah. one. If nice. Chico could have stayed out of jail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if the whole but look, 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 if you if you know the whole DeBarge family story, story everybody's DeBarge going to jail. Everybody yeah. could have stayed, everybody out, of stayed out of jail. Well, it, 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 it stopped getting should high. We, should we actually say if Chico's surname wasn't Debarge. Right. <laughs> you know, if he didn't right. have the, if he, you know, the Debarge is basically like the Kennedys of the music world in, <laughs> in that whole curse thing, you know, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. those poor people, but. <laughs> That's a good anyway. one. That's a really good one. That's a good one. Because um, he's mature soul for the ladies, but with enough swag or hip hop context, I guess is what we translate swag to be, um, that the fellas can relate to. Great, great vocalist, great, great performer, and has his own identity. Um, and you know, he's really captured in terms of his identity. He's really captured the Topshop Zara young black fashion crowd. Um, you know, he's got the songs, he's got the melodies, terrific production. But, you know, Chico could produce himself, but still, Machine Drum and Mellow X and all the guys that help out um, the beauty created. Um, all the guys that help out with um, Jesse Boykin and stuff is beautiful. Maybe mm. it's not enough catalog, but you know, he time will tell. But beautiful songs like um, Amorous, I must say it's pronounced Amorous, not Amorous. But <laughs> in fact, whenever I hear him say Amorous, I always think he's saying she was a walrus as opposed to she was Amorous. But Jesse pronounces it Amorous? Amorous. Wow. Yeah. Nobody's ever corrected him. Wow. <laughs> Good one. That's a good one. Who was the artist Elder Barge could have been? Elder Barge? Mm-hmm. His brother Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean he had Elder a Barge. Yeah, I mean Elder Barge. L, L had a great I mean L had a great career. I mean, you yeah, know, you can't, but I'm just saying All right, you know who we Elder can Barge argue could his have career been? would have been even better. Who? Elder Barge could have been Phil Perry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Phil had gained Phil, about hundred more pounds too. Right, right, gained one hundred more hit hit the false. So you feel me yeah. on that? Right? Yeah, I do yeah. feel you. I do feel you. I do feel, if, but if, I think if, it, if L if L got clean and came out with an album produced by George Duke, mm. yeah, he would, yeah, it would it would blow. Because mm-hmm. L was supposed to be the one too, but L was supposed yeah, to L he, L was Barge was like Jackson's part two. Here's the deal: the career L DeBarge is actually supposed to have. To be honest, he's supposed to have Justin Timberlake shit. You mean capture the R and B and the pop like that? Capture R and B and pop. That, get that women with, with the whole falsetto yeah, sound I mean, and all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see that with that. Twenty years ago, yeah, 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 exactly. Twenty years. Twenty years. Johnny song and all that. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, all that stuff. He Who's was Johnny? supposed to. Yeah, he yeah. was supposed to be that 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 light skin mm-hmm. hair, real high voice, mm-hmm. women love, non threatening, non threat. Just <laughs> but but could really you know really really sing yeah. and do it. He was supposed to be up there, you know. But now he wasn't supposed to have the cross. 
you know, situation that Justin had, but just that dude with that voice. <laughs> well, vo- mm. vocally, you can flip it or you could say El Debarge is the artist that Justin Timberlake was supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah, there vocally, you go. Yeah, there you vocally. vocally, yes, without yeah. a doubt. Great. One of the greatest love songs of all time. All, all this love. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, thought, I thought Jahan was going to say that uh, uh, Prince was the artist Jesse Johnson always wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> Prince was the artist his whole crew wanted right. to be. <laughs> Maybe could have been right. had he taken his boot off of their neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Arturo. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Jill Scott is the artist that Lettucey was supposed to be. Oh yeah, that's perfect. They remind me of each other. Yeah, they do. It's you know they they started their careers about a year apart. I think Jill's on her precedes her by a year. Um, Lettucey's had nearly a dozen Grammy nominations but she's she's always been the bridesmaid uh, Jill has more maybe 14 or so and has won three you know um, but let us see has has, be, has a better voice than Jill is she better better, is she, I've never seen I saw her perform I think didn't she come out on stage with Prince yeah she sang Mountains okay I saw her she tore it up she, right she tore it up I mean, it, was, right. it was beautiful but I've never seen her in full concert is she better in concert than Jill I don't know because I've never seen her Scoop in full concert no. either. I've, what, seen, what, I've seen her three I, times. They're very I've different. Seen, they're, they're very, very different. different. Totally. I've seen her three times. I've seen Jill probably about five times. Interesting thing about Legacy is that she's been on so many award shows performing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you call Legacy whenever you want. You can make sure that your show, your show gets saved. <laughs> yeah, right. In case because she's in case these people have sold your show no every time. Yeah, in case all these superstars mess it up, we'll bring Legacy on it. But to, I think that Jill, I, I think that Jill got the advantage because Jill's got a mythology it's a thin mythology because she's got a mythology is Jill a better songwriter I don't think so I mean because we've talked about this before I mean she could, be better I lyricist. Lyricist. she could be a better lyricist yeah because lyrical content is integral to to Jill to the Jill Scott experience is it yes. integral yeah. to the legacy experience I don't think so I don't think so I don't think so I think delivery is more integral is, is, is uh, more important for a legacy experience um, and also, but, you're dealing with packaging. Yeah, yeah. Packaging has a lot to do. Jill is mm-hmm. much more palatable to the eye, even with her size. And packaging hey man, also. Be careful, be careful. No, no, no. But, but that's subjective. But, that's but that's packaging, subjective. The right. packaging also, but packaging has a lot to do with how it's presented and how you're successful. It, you know, in the situation, you don't when Jill's presented much differently. Yeah, I mean, and, and she and, and that I, helps with. I don't what, think it's. Jill is like the earthy around the way girl. And her, he's the earthy around the way girl. And she also, her personality is much more different mm-hmm. than yeah, Lettuce's I think that's, is. And that's, that's what been, it is. And that's part, but that's part of the presentation also. Jill is presented as an around the way girl. Who, that's it. Right. And then females who, resonate with that because they, hey, you know, I get who, with you. Who wrote the hook to the song that women like. Which you got me. Oh yeah, you got me. Yeah, of course. That's the, the mytho- that's the yeah, mythology right, 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 we're talking right, about. Right. That's where it right. started. That Erica came right. in. That Erica mm-hmm. was brought in. Right. Because mm-hmm. Jill wasn't even Erica pop- said Jill that. I don't know why you got yet. me singing this. But right. once again, it goes. This listen to what I'm saying. Jill changes her hairstyle from natural hair to the puff afro to doing the wigs and doing the heels and doing the dresses and having attitude when she dresses up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Showing the cleavage in concert. All of that. Lettucey does none of that. Right. It none sounds like you're saying Jill is more suited to be a star. That's, yeah, I mean, Jill, it goes Jill to what goes, I'm saying about the yeah. That's what Jill, I go. Jill goes into the Phyllis Hyman uh, territory. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. But she'll also you know. take off her shoes and get down and sit down but with her personality also, and get to a girl. She'll also do that too, yeah. Whereas That's Lettucey what I'm saying. is a lot more... Lettucey is a safer kind of stay in your lane, safer kind of artist. I mean, I rate what she does a lot, but... But it goes into what I'm saying about the packaging and the mm-hmm. presentation. But I feel like... And I agree with, agree with what you're saying. I just feel like to what Jahan just said, staying in their lane, I feel like so many of these... And I'm, I'm not going to call them neo soul artists, but these real soul artists who come out on independent labels who don't have soul. the huge alternative soul, whatever, the lettuces, you know, all these other cats that we love to go see, but we go see them in, you know, rooms that hold maybe 40 or 50 people and we can get, you know, cats like that. It's like they, they, it's almost like they get put in that box, you know what I'm saying? And they stay there. Whereas to me, because it's like all this stuff we're talking about, you have a hit song, it takes you right out of that box immediately. You know what I'm saying? You have a hit, 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 hit song, mm-hmm. like a huge over-the-top song. You get taken out of that box immediately, and now you're put into a different box. I just wish maybe this is a topic we could do in looking at these type of artists, the legacy artists, and seeing how much it's impacted them not having those hits. That's why I asked you if Jill is just a better songwriter. Jill has hits. You know what I'm saying? It's like, right, does right. Lettuce's catalog stack up to that? We can say she's a better singer. We can say she's a better performer. We can say all these things. Does she have the hits to stack up to Jill's catalog? That's what I'm saying. It's like that separates these people. But once again, me. part of Jill's thing is that she had a core at a record label at Hidden Beach that made sure. You know what I'm saying? That made sure yeah, she, she was, was giving those hits. Lettuce didn't was a have that. Um, all right, I'll go real quick. Uh, Frank Ocean is the artist Alicia Keys was supposed to be. <laughs> now, oh, wow. wow. Now, <laughs> wow. You won. Yes. <laughs> Alicia is, is highly successful, very successful. You know, she's, I'm sure most people look at her and say she's had the career that she's supposed to have, but go back to when she first came out, okay? She was marketed, you know, I mean, she was heavily marketed by Clyde. But in my eyes, this was when I moved to it. That was 98, maybe 99. She was presented as this, you know, real musician who was going to take pop music and R&B music and be serious about it and bring it into the 2000s, okay? This was prior to us discovering, much to my chagrin, that Alicia is boring. Alicia is, she's a talented musician. To, am I, you know, she's not so much a great vocalist, but she's a talented musician. She's written some hits, you know, more than one, plenty of hits. She, to me, it did not live up to that standard. Now, Frank Ocean only wanted, well, technically two albums into it. He, to me, is showing up to be more of that intellectual, deep thinking, creative artist that Alicia kind of was presented as, you know, primarily no matter what happens with Frank's career, I feel like he's going to be interesting. You know what I'm saying? He's going to say compelling things. He's going to be honest and raw in a way that Alicia is not being in her music. I don't know, you know, like this last album she had, which I only listened to Mm -hmm. once and I did that on GP, but it's like prior to listening to that album, I read a couple articles, um, skimmed a couple articles about Alicia and it was like, this album is like me revealing who I am and blah, blah, blah. I listened to the album. I'm like, okay, either you're very uninteresting or you're not telling the truth. This is not who you are. This is just more marketing. Frank, to me, is that that type of artist who's going to reveal who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whether you like it, don't like it, whether it sounds compelling or not, he's going to be open and honest like that. And that's why I say that he's the artist that Alicia, I was hoping Alicia was going to end up being. My girlfriend, 
She loves Alicia Keys. So I listened to Alicia Keys' last album. I loved it. Can't remember it at all. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny because when I listened to it, I loved it. I just Mm -hmm. can't remember a damn thing about it. To my point. It's like she's... There's, she's had moments you know what I'm saying she's had some interesting moments on some of her songs where I'm like okay bam there it is you know go that route you know but overall it's like wow this is really not what you're saying is really not interesting to me um, and I that hurts to say you know I love Alicia yeah, you know what I'm no. saying it's like you know Alicia you know but the same time it's like she just hasn't panned out to be the but artist that I thought she was supposed to be or the one she but, was presented presented as, as. Well, that, she, that's more she, to the yeah point. she she ain't the artist that she was supposed to be exactly the thing is is that i think frank you know right now whether it's odd future or kendrick lamar or frank ocean or drake it's a lot more acceptable and even popular to be emotionally open mm-hmm. in your to content be vulnerable. to be vulnerable yeah it, it is which is it's good a lot more popular but i think to you know in her defense it, when she came out, it wasn't necessarily that way. It, you know, well, it was much more just conventional lyricism, conventional material. But I, but I argue, though, for female artists, I think it was always much more acceptable to be vulnerable as opposed to male artists. Like, I get what you're saying. At that point of time, I do think it wasn't as acceptable as it is now. It's, ga- it's gaining popularity mm. to be vulnerable now. But mm-hmm. I think for female artists, the door was always a little bit more open for you to be vulnerable because you remember this this was right this was post Mary J Blige right. you know what I'm saying yeah, 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 yeah. so not to not to <laughs> not to post Mary but I'm saying post her peak and Alicia was just supposed to take this and take it to an ele- another level and, and she it was, was like and she was presented as going to be different yes now she was young she was different yes. and it started with the music it wasn't her singing it wasn't her performance it was yeah. the fact that she was a trained pianist and that was going yeah. to be the lead and introduce yeah, yeah, her yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. to Isaac's point is that she was supposed to be different whether emotionally vulnerable or not mm-hmm. she was supposed to be different and the, the honest honest answer she's not she's no, just, she, I, she wound, I think she, she might just be basically yeah. she, she wound up being Brianna McKnight <laughs> oh <laughs> I, I mean <laughs> and to that to that point i think she's just she may just she may be being honest it's just that what she's saying may not just be that very interesting to her credit uh, to speak to what you said about her being different remember when she first came out she had that photo spread in that european magazine yeah, where she was half naked find, right yeah she was half naked and showing basically uh, uh parts of her pubic area yeah mm. and she said after that she felt very uncomfortable doing that photo shoot after that she decided she wasn't going to do anything like that again and she did she had and i give her credit yeah for that. i write i write her for that yeah i, I, I give and her and i think clive had something to do with that too <laughs> trust me but you know she, just her voice she came to, I shouldn't even diss her because she came to, you know, Scoop, she came to Enzinger's school. Okay. And, um, Interlock she played, in Michigan. Yeah. No, 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 no. In Chicago. Oh, Suzuki Enzinger, one, Enzinger. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking of Nia. Yeah, yeah, my no, bad, my yeah, bad. Yeah, not Nia. Enzinger's. And she played piano and she listened to them play piano and she talked to them and she was really, really nice. Really, really And I really, think that really whole nice. different thing as far as the piano, <clears throat> that lasted for a quick second for me. Okay, boom. She plays piano. It's like, you know, she's a real, real musician. I think even on her latest album, it opens up with a piano interlude. Like we're supposed to be like, oh, wow, here's a real piano being played. Come on. It's like that's really after all this time, after this much time, that's what you got to say. I admire 
And you, you can't, you can't come to a defense after comparing her to Brianna <laughs> McKnight. You're done. <laughs> no, this is my now, now. I'm going now. I'm going into this is inside joke, people. But now I'm going into a six A six B personality sort of switch. Yeah, you can't you can't clean that one up. <laughs> I mean, but you know, I applaud anybody. I just wish she'd do it differently. But I applaud anybody who embraces musicianship, like you know, musicianship as a and despite the fact that I will use logic or you know, Pro Tools or whatever, I, I embrace anybody who touches mm-hmm. a, a musical instrument and showcases it front and center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, show album. I, I do too. I just think it's been used. It began as the showcase. It's a bit of a prop the, maybe the, for yeah, her now. Yeah, now it's like a prop. You know, it's like, oh, she's on stage playing piano. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who cares? But you, you know, know what? That, that <laughs> Maxwell track she did was pretty fly. Oh, the, the duet? The we make. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that like, track. But like you said, it's like you like the album, but then you can't remember it. So I think Frank, I, I just to close, I just feel like Frank represents more of what she was supposed to be when she was presented to us at the, the, the beginning of her career. Yeah, she 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 should have been an Angela Wimbush. Yeah, but see, she was always set to be more even more mainstream than Angela. You she was supposed to be. But in terms yeah, man, of production, she was supposed and, to be Carol King. Clyde, she was supposed to be Joni Mitchell. You know what I'm saying? She was supposed, she was to, be supposed to be I don't Joni know if they were Mitchell hitting that hard, but she Clyde, was supposed I mean, to be she's supposed to be Carole King, where she, she, you know, she could write songs, she could play piano, she could sing, she could get hooks, she can get she was all be deep. that. She was supposed to be Joni Mitchell. She was supposed to be yeah. deep. She was supposed to be profound, and we got none of that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Alicia. Right. If, if you if you listen, Alicia, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I'll retract all of this. Yeah, that's a good way to get guests. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I'm going to deny all this. Like, I just, I don't, they edited that. John edited it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Did you ever hear that track that she did on the Men in Black soundtrack? Oh, yeah. What was the name love of it? that song. I can't remember the name, but love that song. See? Just like everything else. <laughs> I can't remember it. Just like everything Chinese else. Chinese food. Yep. I can't. This has been episode 17 of the Music Snobs podcast. We appreciate you listening in. Join us on themusicsnobs.com, Facebook, facebook.com, The Music Snobs, Twitter, Total Music Snobs, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash The Music Snobs, where we have a full library at your disposal. We'll see you at 18.